Does Jesus have all of you? <laughs> you know, I think sometimes we sing songs just kind of by memory or without thinking about the words that we're singing and whether or not we really believe and agree with the words that we're singing and whether or not we're really committed to actually live it out, what we're singing. Does he have your whole life? Does he have it all? Have you surrendered it all? All of it. <laughs> I know he keeps exposing more areas that I need to surrender. <laughs> I'm, I'm in this awkward spot this morning as uh, your pastor um, because uh, I believe that uh, the message that uh, I'm going to be delivering today is actually for me. <clears throat> Um, uh, I need somebody else to actually preach it because uh, I'm the one that uh, God has pierced. I'm the one whose heart God has pierced this week. And so it's kind of a weird thing because I'm preaching a, a message to myself. Um, <laughs> I praise the Lord, though, that uh, the good news about this is that, uh, you know what, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, uh, which means that we all probably have the same areas, areas of struggle and of sin and areas where we probably need to hear this word as well. And, and so I stand before you with uh, some confidence that this word, although I know it's for me, that it also may uh, speak to some of you as well. Acts chapter 6. Let's read the first uh, seven verses. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said seemed pleasing to the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timnon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love uh, God's word because it never, like... Uh, kind of ignores or, or skips over the tensions and the struggles and the sinfulness of his people and of his church. Uh, this is, uh, again, can be considered a bit of a strange passage, but consider what's happened in the first five chapters so far. We've seen exponential growth of the church. I mean, the church didn't exist, right? It was God's people, Old Testament. Jesus dies, Jesus resurrects from the dead. Jesus commissions his disciples. The Holy Spirit comes, and then the church is born. And in a matter of months, it goes from 500 believers to 5,000 plus. Now that 
is exponential growth. I mean, can you imagine being a part of this early church? I think many of us would love to have been there, right? To see all the things that were going on. I mean, the, the healings that happened, the supernatural works that were coming, the miracles that were happening, and, and then all of the thousands of people that were responding to the word of God and to Jesus and coming in droves and to become a part of the church, right? Amazing, awesome. But also, I, I think we would be foolish to not consider as well that maybe that massive and quick growth could have potentially created some tensions. And we see at least one of those tensions here before us in Acts chapter 6. Some of the Jews were, or some of the widows were not receiving the distribution to the level that others were. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I just, I, oh, we'll get into this. It's, it's good stuff. The reality is, is the disciples realized, the apostles realized, like, because of this massive growth, that they had to do something, right? They had to somehow get organized. They had to somehow come up with some structures and systems in order to take care of all these new believers, to be able to take care. I mean, how would you even know, going from 500 to 5,000 in just a short period of time, how would you even know who the widows are? And who needs assistance and who doesn't? Who's taking care of and who's not? I mean, the, the, we see here this, this amazing reality that with the massive influx of what the Holy Spirit was doing, bringing all these new converts, that the structure of the church needed to somehow be organized. For a while, they were able to kind of just use the temple system and organization as they continued to kind of worship at the temple. But as the Pharisees and other Jews began to persecute Christians more and more, there was a need for them to come up with their own system apart from the temple. And that's what we see here. Consider even Acts chapter 5. You know, I think maybe we can skip over this as well. In Acts 5, you know, the Ananias and Sapphira piece, right? You know, who is, who is receiving the offerings? Who's the one that's overseeing the distribution of the goods? It's the apostles. You kind of look at chapter 6 and we think, oh, yeah, well, the apostles are like, oh, that's, that's menial work. Oh, I don't want to do that. So I'm over here. You guys need to take care of that. Come on, figure out. I'm preaching the word and praying. But no, 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 no. You have to understand. The apostles were the ones who were doing all of this work. And, and with the massive growth, they're being forced to make some changes. They're being forced to decentralize their authority. They had to somehow, you know, like, like Moses' uh, father-in-law, right? Like, Moses, you can't do this. It's going to wear you out. You can't judge all these people. You need others to come alongside you. You need to delegate authority. And the same thing is happening here. The disciples, the apostles, were trying to do all of this on their own. But they couldn't. And they're forced to decentralize and allow others and call others into leadership into ministry. But more than that, or maybe aside, uh, along with that, they needed people to step up. They needed people to say, yeah, I want to help. I want to be a part of this family. I want to I join you. I want to do my part. I want to I help out in some way. I want to serve. I think these two things are key to any church 
a decentralization of leadership and authority and everyone having a role to serve. You know, I was reminded of, uh, of James and John, <laughs> you know, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, right? You know, Mike Hurley likes these guys. He always talks about it. I know you got a hat, don't you? Son, I should have had you wear it today. You know, James and John, imagine them. Like, these are the guys, the reason they get this name, right, is because they're the ones whose, like, mom came and said, hey, can my sons have, you know, the throne next to you in heaven, Jesus, right? You know, and so there's this, you know, this desire, this ambition in James and John. Like, we want the authority. We want control. We want the power right? And so I can imagine early on with all of these people coming, the apostles, James and John, and even Peter and others like, yeah, like look at all of this authority we'll have. Look at all these people that are coming to us. Oh my gosh, we're amazing. We're powerful. But when it comes to growth, when it comes to this kind of massive growth, exponential growth, there's something that happens where they can't do it anymore. And they have a decision to make. Are they going to continue to hang on to control or are they going to let go? This is the pain of growing. This is the pain of decentralizing. We like, as human beings, especially those with leadership skills and giftings, we like to be in control. I know I do. I like having power. I like people coming to me. I always think my perspective is right. <laughs> it, you know, it's so much easier if I just do it than to train somebody else to do it. I mean, I'm going to do it better anyway. I mean, these chairs are all messed up. Like, they're not in clear rows. I mean, I don't know who put these chairs out, but there is no system to it at all. And this is driving me crazy. Like, what are you guys doing? I can do it better. I have the ability. I'm the expert. I'm the pro. I've been trained for this. My mom taught me how to line up chairs. Obviously, somebody's mom didn't teach them. But Jesus, Jesus is the head of the church. And I think this is part of what the disciples had to accept and embrace That the church was growing not because of their greatness, but because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that the church was going to continue to be successful because Jesus was the head of the church and not them. You know, this happens on, you know, uh, uh, the big role of the pastor. He can, he can be controlling, and oh my gosh, the Lord has been pushing. Oh, he has been just ripping this out of my hands recently. And, and um, matter of fact, I, I had to apologize last week to some people because I just, I was fighting against it. I was like, no, I'm not going to let go. I want control. <laughs> and I said some stuff. Anyway, um, I'm not going to get into that. But the Lord is ripping control out of my hands. And, and, and yeah, amen. Now, that's not the right time, Robert. <laughs> it's not the... <laughs> oh, you guys are amazing. Amen. Yes, I agree. He's ripping it out of my hands one finger at a time, causing me to let go. Because he wants control, and it's not about me. It's about him. 
and it's about what he wants to do. If the disciples refused to decentralize, if they refused to let go of control, they would have diminished the growth of the church. Divisions would have continued to rise, and there would have been no way that new people could come in because they would be pushing them out because the disciples were limited. They're just men. They can't do more than just what a man can do. But God had bigger visions for the church. He had a massive global vision for the church. And the only way for that to, be, to happen and be successful is to have the God of the universe who is pastoring the church. Jesus is the head of this church and every church that worships his name. And it's not mine to control. It's his. I certainly have a role to play. It's certainly a public leadership role. But it's just one role of many. I love 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26. And this vision uh, that Paul leaves for us of this reality that we need each other, that I can't just tell you guys, no, you got, it's all right, I'm the pastor. We don't really need your gifts and your skills. Thanks for stopping by, but just sit there and listen. <laughs> just sit there and do what I say. Just sit there. The church is a body that's designed for all the different pieces to work together. There's no piece that is greater than any of the other pieces. And I, as your pastor, am not greater than you in any way, nor are you greater than me. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. There you go, Robert. There's also a pain in growth, the pain of serving. <laughs> you know, I, I can't help but look at these, uh, you know, the, uh, the Hellenist Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews who are complaining about their widows. I just, I, I don't know, as a pastor and leadership for so many years, I just, I know these guys, right? Uh, they're the ones that are sitting back and they're whining because their little group isn't getting what they're supposed to. Yeah, this group over here, you know, and they're just complaining. And, you know, and, and they come with complaints, but not with solutions, Right? You know, they just want to shut. You know what, disciples? You're doing a horrible job because my, these widows over here, you're just totally ignoring them. All these other widows are getting what they need, right? I mean, heck, can you, I can hear it. I don't know. There's people's you know, names that are coming to my mind right now. I'm sorry, but none here. This is a great church. We're great. Never happened here. But uh, anyway, so like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I can just see this kind of person, you know, that steps up and they're just complainers. They're just critical. They don't want to help, they don't want to be a part of the solution. They just want to complain about what's happening. And then, uh, you know, I think on the other side of this is there's those that, you know, just have whatever reason have decided they have nothing to offer. That, you know, they're just not skilled enough to really help with any kind of service or ministry in the church. You know, I mean, I can't preach, so that means I can't do anything, you know. Uh, or, you know, that we, that, 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 you know, they're not trained. You know, well, you know, I, let's just leave it to the professionals. Let's leave it to those who, you know, really, they're, they're, they've, they've worked hard at this. They, let's let them. I, I'm not educated enough. I, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about this or that. And now I, I can't serve. I'm not called. You know, I'm, I've heard this too. Like, I just don't feel drawn to anything. 
wow, you know, if you're not drawn to one thing, you know what that means? You get to do everything, <laughs> right? You get to choose, like, whatever you want, right? Just jump in, right? But, of course, I think in our world today, this is probably the biggest thing is that, that I'm too busy. Our world has done a really good job of filling our lives with a whole lot of stuff that really doesn't matter. I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter. And this is another area where the Lord has been just ripping stuff out of my hands. So what are you doing spending your time? Does this matter? Does this fill you at all? Do you walk away feeling like, oh man, that was great. I'm glad I got to experience that. Or you can walk away and go, oh, I don't remember what I was doing, right? I mean, there's so much of this world that is a distraction. And there are too many people in churches in America that are not participating in any ministry, in any service in the church or even outside the church because they are so self-absorbed and consumed by their routine and their schedule. But we have to understand that the church is not just a social club. It is not something that you just kind of sign on the dotted line, I want to be a part of, or, or you have to do your, you know, give your dues, right? And, and you played your dues, so now you get to come and you get to be cared for and served. This is not your local golf club where you go down and you get you know, access to that really private room in the back with the great AC and the nice cushy chairs, right? This is not some club that you just get to go and be served and taken care of as long as you kind of pay your due. Well, I showed up on Sunday, or I, I paid my tithe this week, or, or I, did my, I prayed a little bit this week, so I'm, so I'm okay now. No, no, no. This is a family. We've got to get our minds away from seeing the church as just some social function that we get to go and be blessed by and start seeing the family, this church as a family of God where we need each of us to do our roles to continue to maintain relationship with one another and build the church and build his kingdom for his glory. Too many of us as well, I think, see ministries of the church as frivolous. And, and you know, in part, I, can, I get this. Matter of fact, one of uh, my philosophies in ministry developed over the years that I've done ministry is that I think churches need to be careful not to overschedule. And we shouldn't have too much ministry going on. And, and there's a reason for that. One, and the big one for me, is that if people are always at the church serving each other, if we're always just serving ourselves, then we never have opportunity to share the love of Jesus with the world. And a big part of what we are as the family of God is we have a mission. We have a job. We have Jesus is drawing us to save the world with him. And so we've got to leave margin for that. We've got to allow people to, to do that. And so as a church, I work very hard, as a pastor of this church, I work very hard not to overschedule. Not to have a whole bunch of stuff going on each week so that every night of the week you're at the church. But many think that uh, ministries of the church are frivolous, but I would say in our church, I don't see that. You know what, our kids' ministry? I'm sorry, but we have kids that need to hear the word of the Lord, not just from their parents. As a matter of fact, we've got parents that are desperate for other adults to come alongside them and help to educate their kids and what it means to know Jesus and to live for him. This is not a frivolous ministry. It's not unimportant. Even nursery is not something you're just like, oh, you know, just watching the babies. What's a big, I mean, that's not important, really. Oh my gosh, yes, it is. 
If you remember the days when you had little babies, trying to go to church, trying to embrace and ex experience what may God has for you in that service, and you're holding that, that newborn, that's hard, right? Some newborns are great, they're easy, no problem. Others, they can't handle that. They need that space, but also those nursery workers just loving on and caring for those little babies, holding them, playing with them, encouraging them. Our youth group, these teenagers, I know they drive you all crazy, <laughs> drive especially their parents crazy, but this work with our youth ministry is not frivolous, it's not pointless, it's not purposeless. The youth are under vicious attack today. And five, six days a week, they are hearing from the world these messages. This and over and over again. See the world. See me. See yourself. See your own, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know self-esteem is like the most important thing. Or pick who you are or whatever it may be. The world is constantly bombarding our teens with these messages from the world that are doomed to defeat them and send them into uh, uh, just depression and despair. And we get one Wednesday night and one Sunday morning to pour into them. Now, again, their parents throughout the week, they're doing that as well. But their parents need us to come alongside these youth and help them, to give them a space where they, when, when their relationship begins, begins to get tense with their parents, there's another adult in their life that they can go to that's safe. But also that adult who's going to give similar advice their parent would and be able to help them grow in their faith. We have connection groups. We have a hospitality team. We've got all of these, uh, these service ministries. People need help in this world. We have a benevolence fund. Why? Because there's times when people need help financially, and so we step in. But that, in my opinion, that's, those are small things. The bigger things is when they're walking through the real challenges of life, when they're walking through the possibility that they're going to die tomorrow, when they're walking through a time when other fa a family member is about to die or going to die by tomorrow. That, how do we support them? How do we come alongside them? So we have connection groups. We have hospitality. We have so many people that are praying and coming alongside and caring for them. The world needs Jesus as well. And so we have Bella Vista School. We have, a, a, you know, short-term mission trips this week. And we've done a couple of this year, right? We've got other, uh, you know, uh, missions groups that come and share on Sunday mornings. Things that people that are in our church are a part of. So we continue to do that. And we need a place to gather. Isn't this a beautiful amphitheater? We need a place to gather, to come together and worship. God has given us this 30 acres, and it is set aside for his glory and for his people to gather to worship him. And so we need to take care of it because he's given it to us. And so working, you know, on work days and making sure the weeds keep down and making sure the, the building continues to work and making sure the AC units are working so we're cool when inside or heat is working when, it's, uh, it's, uh, when we need to be warm inside. And we need, again, corporate worship. We need Sunday morning service. These are all important ministries. They're not frivolous things not asking you to get a part, you know, uh, of something that doesn't have kingdom purpose and meaning to it. The question is, are you serving? Are you on the sidelines instead? I know we've got new people that maybe have just started coming the last few weeks, or maybe this is your first Sunday here. May I say, don't exclude yourself from this potential word from the Lord. Are you serving? 
How long have you been bouncing around, maybe looking for the perfect church? We're not it. It doesn't exist. Maybe it's time to you to make a decision and jump in. Oh, Pastor Sean, you're you're ooh, ooh, stepping on toes. All right, now I've got to get to this next little section that I that I have to say is um, hardest for me. Uh, this this pain of bigger actually is the poor part that the Lord has really been <clears throat> pushing on me all week, and and um, and I don't want to I don't want to give it. I don't want to speak this out. Uh, matter of fact, I, I felt led to write it out because when I get into these kind of things, sometimes it just feels better to get it on paper. And so I'm going to read it. Uh, I know some of you kind of check out when I do that. If, if that's the case, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe, Robert, you can just throw in an amen every once in a while, wake everybody up. So, <laughs> all right, perfect. The pain of vigor. Uh, you know, I think before I even get into what I read, I just... No, I'm just, okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Perhaps there have been other churches that have experienced growth similar to this first century church that we see in Acts. But I think it's quite unusual. There are many churches certainly that have gone through growth spurts, but nothing compared to the thousands of new believers of the early church. But the reality is a church can experience growing pains with even a modest increase in attendance. It's amazing how quickly we can get tweaked by new people attending our church. I mean, how can they not realize that I sit in that seat every Sunday? It's my seat. I do thank God that we're not a church like that, right? Really, we're not. But with one service in that sanctuary, it's been a tight squeeze. And even though we may not be fighting for our usual spot, we're sometimes just struggling to find a spot. <laughs> Perhaps, you know, now it's summer, we go back inside next week, and the attendance will be down a little bit, so it won't be so tight. Truth is, we love being together as a church and we love meeting new people, but I think some of us hope our church doesn't ever get bigger. We're actually against numeric growth. Matter of fact, many of us came to this church expressly because it was smaller. We prefer a smaller church where we can know everyone. We're, we're even tempted to defend a perspective that glorifies small churches and demonizes the mega ones. <laughs> but the first church in history, by our modern standards, was a mega church. And God was moving and working in and through them in mighty and awesome ways. I know for me, numeric growth is a point of tension. I love having us all together in one service. There is such a wonderful atmosphere in this place, and it's because you guys really are amazing people. <laughs> Especially Robert. As we talk about going to two services in August, I find myself resisting it. 
I don't want to divide us into two services. <laughs> I want us all together. Not to mention two services make Sunday morning much more difficult. Not just the energy that it takes to preach twice, but the logistics of managing two services and the reality of preaching to a half-empty, or wait, is it a half-full auditorium instead of a full one? I've strategized many times with God trying to figure out how to get AC out here so we can do services every all summer long, right? Or to come up with the money to build a bigger sanctuary. But the Lord has recently been challenging my thinking in this regard. I sense him calling me to let go of the comforts I've become accustomed to. As most of you know, I have for months now been telling you how God is building expectations in me that he's going to allow us to reap a harvest of souls into the kingdom of God. It's part of the revival work that he is doing in our church and in the world. But over the last couple of weeks, God's confronted me about my prayers and expectations for this harvest and whether or not they're genuine. This week, he asked me these questions. Do you, re do you really believe I'm preparing for you growth or is that just rhetoric? If you really believe I'm preparing you to see an influx of new converts, then why have you not added a second service? Why aren't you making room for those I will bring? Are you really going to cling to the ease of one service, to the comfort of a full sanctuary, and the security of having a church size that you can handle at the expense of all the souls I'm ready to send your way? My only response to these questions, and he did speak them in that tone, was, oh Lord, you know my sick and depraved heart so well. Perhaps you recall me on several occasions talking about, over the years, how numeric growth does not prove a church's health. In my philosophy, my job is to follow Jesus, and his job is to bring people or take people as he wills. But there is sickness in my heart. This well-thought-out philosophy gives me permission to settle for less. Jesus is convicting me of a poverty mindset that is contradicting my prayers for us to reap his harvest. I've had many spiritually sensitive people over the last six months inside and outside of our church tell me they sense the Lord about to bring exponential numeric growth to our little church. And every time I say thank you for sharing, but in my heart, I'm like, uh-huh, I don't know, <laughs> we'll see. Despite my own personal conviction that he is indeed going to bring a host of new believers into our community, I have adopted a wait-and-see strategy. But this is not how faith works. Steps of faith always come before the outpouring. 
Jesus calls us to build the boat before the rain falls. He calls us to speak the plague before the Nile turns to blood. He calls us to preach to the dry bones before they come to life. He calls us to step into the Jordan before it dries up. He calls us to pick up our mats and walk before our legs are strengthened. He calls us to touch his cloak before the blood flow ceases. He calls us to open the door before he enters and sits and dines with us. When the Lord convicts our hearts of hypocrisy, when he reveals the duplicity that lies within, we have two options. We can flee from cleansing, his cleansing fire or allow the sin. Excuse me. We can, we, we can flee from his cleansing fire and allow the sin to continue. Or we can drop to our knees and allow our hearts to be purified. Church, the Lord has softened my heart, and I choose kneeling over running. When my mind insists it's foolishness, and it's presumptuous to declare publicly numeric growth before it happens, I refuse to ignore the clear voice of Jesus. I choose today to let go of my insistence that he soak the fleece with dew before I act. I choose to trust his voice and direction, no matter how foolish it seems or how contradictory it is to my well-thought-out philosophies. So we will begin two services in July. Part of the tension in making this decision is that it impacts so many people. Going to two services is not just adding to my work, it's adding work to dozens of people. Our worship team and media team and sound team, our youth and children's ministries, our greeters, ushers, and hospitality teams. For me to make this unilateral decision without coordinating with them and getting their buy-in is not how I lead. But this is part of what Jesus is calling me to let go of. I have to trust that he will empower them, that he's already been preparing them, and he will affirm this decision in their hearts. More than that, in our previous discussions on adding a service, we identified a lack of people to fill all the extra roles. While some currently involved can add an hour or two to their week, it is quite literally impossible to make this move without more people getting involved and serving. Nearly six years ago, for reasons only God knows, he appointed me to be your pastor. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps like me, you've had many occasions to question his wisdom in doing so. While I've grown in my confidence of his call, more importantly, I've become desperate for his voice, his direction, and his strength. He did not put me in this position because I was able to handle it on my own. He called a wretch like me so he could get all the glory. And so this wretch stands before you today asking you 
to join me in taking this step of faith? Will you join me in trusting that God will do what he said he will do? And whether or not numeric growth comes, we will make room for it. Will you come alongside me in laying down control? Will you open your area of ministry to new people, even allowing them to do the things that you love to do? Will you choose to journey with God's family? Will you get off the sidelines and start doing your part to serve this family? In regard to starting a second service, one of the most foolish things we could do is in the middle of Reading summer, when most people head for the mountains or the coast, we start a second service. <laughs> but it seems to me it's even more foolish to ignore the promptings and clear leading of the Lord. I don't understand why he didn't convict me of this in January or February. Oh, my gosh, that would have been so much easier. It certainly would have made a lot more sense and been a much easier sell to my staff and leaders. But after a couple of unbelievable affirmations that he gave me yesterday, unbelievable affirmations, you guys, I will be working with our teams this week in preparation to begin two services the first week of July. That's right, 4th of July weekend. <laughs> Trust me, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> you know, this would be much easier if he was just asking me to do something crazy that only affected me and Debbie. <laughs> I remember back in our late 20s when I was working full-time in a grocery store, working part-time at a church, and Debbie was staying home taking care of our amazing three kids, and God called me to go back to school full-time. <laughs> we were like, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't have the time to do that. We don't have the money. There's no way that's going to happen. But we stepped out in faith, and God showed up. But it's different this time. There's a whole lot more people this step of craziness will affect. But as I've reflected on it, it actually is no different. 25 years ago, I heard the Lord speak. And even though it seemed ridiculous, I took my wife and kids and followed. And he was faithful. Church, today I'm asking you to follow me into something that seems very foolish. But like the time he provided, like but like he provided the time, the funds, and the ability to graduate four years later without any school debt 25 years ago, he will prove the strategy. He will bring the strategy, the people, and the faith we need to start a second service in July. Let me be clear. Land in the plane here, get in there. <laughs> I'm not asking you to follow me because you trust me. I am unworthy of your trust. But follow me because you trust Jesus and his ability to speak and lead a wretched man such as myself. Follow me because you have faith 
that even if I'm wrong in my discerning his voice and call, he can still use this for his glory. Follow me because Jesus is calling you the same way he's calling me. He's calling you out of your comfort zones. He's calling you out of your well-thought-outs and secure routines. He's calling you out of your self-absorbed world that for too long has focused on satisfying your physical cravings and obsession with being safe. He's calling you out of a poverty mindset that thinks he will never do anything supernatural in your life. He's calling you to trust him and to expect he is going to act. He's calling you to a great adventure filled with mystery, plot twists, and surprise endings. He's calling you to live according to the spirit who is like the wind that we have blowing today, who we don't know where it comes from or to where it is going. He is calling you to enjoy your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ with me. Can I get an amen? As I step back and look at this in big picture, I kind of go, oh, we're adding two services. What's the big deal? And it, it is not a big deal. And if it fails and we need to go back to one service someday, not, whatever, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it's like of the things that we could do, this is in some sense, it feels like no big deal. But I guess the reason I know it's a big deal is uh, that it is a big deal in the spiritual realm is because of all that God has been doing to speak this message to me and the things that he's pushing on in me. I have been so uncomfortable this week. I have weeped this week as I feel like the Lord downloads different pieces of this message and as he convicts, as he's downloading. And I've spent time in repentance with Jesus this week. And I think, you know what? For us as a church, this is an important step. It's not just for me. I do believe that he's, for whatever he knows, he brought me here. He appointed me as your pastor. He knows my strengths. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my foolishness. He knows my crazy thoughts. He knows all that stuff. And for whatever reason, this week, he's given me this message for you. And he's asking me to take this faith-filled risk to open up two services in July when it makes no sense. And I find in my life there are many times, different times, when when he's called me to do crazy things. And sometimes when I do those crazy things, I'm amazed at what ends up happening. Other times I do crazy things and I'm like, huh, well, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I was, okay. But here's what I know for sure. God wants us to be willing to do crazy things. He wants us just to listen to his voice and respond when he calls. We see throughout scripture people doing crazy things over and over again. Why not me? Why not us? Amen? Amen. All right, let's go into communion now. It's, I don't know, it feels like an awkward transition, but, and maybe it is, and praise the Lord. Uh, we have these uh, little uh, prepackaged uh, communion elements. If you didn't get one, then maybe uh, we can get 
Derek to bring that basket over. Anybody need uh, communion elements if you didn't grab when you came in, uh, we've got some more and you can grab those now. Normally, I go to 1 Corinthians for our communion, and uh, this morning I've decided, I felt like the Lord uh, brought me to a different passage, which <laughs> is almost, uh, it's, 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 it's good. God's good. I, I, it's a little different. Uh, certainly been used before for communion, but um, yeah, a little different than the 1 Corinthians 11. But before I get there, I just want to mention, because we do have a lot of newer people in our church and uh, whatnot this morning and, and have been for the last few weeks, so just, I just want to say that you know we, ha- we practice open communion here, so we don't, you don't have to be a member of this church or any other Alliance church in order to participate this morning. Uh, we just ask that if you uh, have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, that you join us at the table. Uh, you join us in, uh, in uh, observing um, yeah, the communion elements this morning of the symbolic elements of Jesus' body and blood. So John chapter 6, verse 53 and following reads as follows. Um, and let me set this up a little bit. So um, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Okay, so he's already been building. He's been you know, doing all these miracles in his ministry already. People are getting healed all over the place, right? And then he feeds 5,000 plus people, right? I mean, it's an amazing miracle. And so now he's got thousands of people that are following him. Oh, I mean, just this host of people that are just all clamoring around. But he realizes that they're not following him because they want him. They're following him for his gifts, for following him because of what he can do for them, right? They're going to get, you know, a miracle or they're going to get fed and all this kind of stuff. And so with all these thousands of people now following him, he stops along the way and he says these things. Listen to this. This is crazy. (laughs) Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whatever feed, who, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Now, we've got the benefit of 2,000 years of perspective to go, oh, well, you know, this is just symbolic of the Lord's Supper and all these kind of things, and, you know, this is not. But they did not have that benefit. He knew exactly how they would be perceiving this. And even the disciples after this were like, oh, Jesus, this is really hard teaching. And so he asked them, he says, are you going to leave too? And I I think as we go to communion and in in light of this, I think, call from the Lord to take this step of faith, I, I think it's important that we're reminded being a Christian is about intimate relationship with Jesus. It's about oneness with him. It's about consuming him. It's about wanting to be with him in such great intimacy and oneness. It's about wanting him and him alone, not the miracles, not the things that he's going to do, not the outpouring of his spirit, not any of that. We just want Jesus. As we participate in communion this morning, as we consider this call, the step of faith, 
May we zero our focus away from the world and the things and the distractions that it has for us. It's saying, look over here, look over here. Away from the divisions, away from the challenges and the painful things that are going on, the struggles in our world. May we even let go of... uh, of making this crazy step of opening up two services. I, I, I tell you, I'm going to be preaching by myself in one of those services, I'm sure. Like, I just, in my mind, that's what's, but let's let go of that. Like, wh- whatever, right? All of that stuff doesn't matter. It pales in comparison if I can just have Jesus. And that's why I stand here and I preach this message. That's why even though all week I was like, I can't preach. This is stupid. I'm not doing this. This is foolishness. Why would I do this? But then I say, wait a second, I've got Jesus. Who cares if it flops? Who cares if it doesn't work? Who cares if you guys all rebel and kick me out? Ah, I gotta go be a pastor somewhere. Well, maybe I'll just get hang out, be a kept man at home. My wife will work. Yeah, it's gonna be great, honey. I love it. Take care of Mango. Whatever, right? I have Jesus. It is that is that your heart? As you participate, as you partake of these elements, do you want Jesus? Just Him. May we actually consume this cracker with the body of Jesus in mind, saying, Jesus, I just want to be one with you. May we drink this juice that is symbolic of his blood, and, and we say, Jesus, I just, I just want you to wash through me. I want you to be one with you. No matter what happens in this world, that's the number one priority. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I need. And it doesn't matter if the whole world abandons me, the whole world turns their back on me. I've got you, and I've got you for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing goodness. Lord, I thank you for this message that I have no doubt was from you. I don't understand it. I don't know why but I trust it's from you. You spoke this clearly to me. You affirmed it in ways that I've seldom had a message affirmed. And so I preach it with confidence, not in the results, but confidence that for whatever reason, this is the message you wanted to bring today. I preach it boldly for your kingdom, for your glory. And Lord, may you get all the glory. But Lord, I do, I I sense a a companionship, a, a, a brother and sisterhood in this, in this place. And my heart goes out for this church, Lord. I, I'm part of it. And Lord, we do sense that you are going to allow us the great privilege of reaping a harvest of souls for your kingdom. And Lord, I'm sorry for how I've resisted your call. I've, I've limited it how I've stepped back and had this, this poverty mindset that thought, well, no, you got to bring it first, then I'll make changes, Lord. I, I surrender all that to you, Lord. I repent of it again. Lord, have your way in me. Have your way in this church. And Lord, if it is your will, we're ready. We don't know fully what that means. Lord, if 5,000 people are a part of this church in, in a couple of months down the road, we don't know how to do that. We have no idea how that's going to work. But we just keep our eyes on you. But we just need you. We just want you. We want to be one with you. As we partake of these elements this morning, allow us the privilege of your Holy Spirit coming and once again anointing us with your presence and an understanding and a feeling and an experience maybe even this morning that you are indeed with us and that we are one with you. 
individually and corporately for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sit. We're going to sing. I encourage you to go ahead and take the elements now. I'll sit and take the elements as well. And let's continue to worship the Lord now in song. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. And uh, we ask that you continue to move among us. Lord, we thank you for the signs you've already given of your movement and your um, pouring out your spirit in our community. And we ask that you continue to do so today and into the future. Lord, we again, we, we come not for the signs, not for uh, you to do these things. We, we, we ask you to do them, certainly. But Lord, we are satisfied with you. We just want more of you and just ask that you would have your way. Lord, I do pray as well. Lord, I, I felt led to pray over our Sacramento team this yesterday. And, and Lord, we need to pray over our church as well. Uh, Lord, uh, blow away our expectations. Lord, you can do so much more than we can even imagine. And, and Lord, so just Lord, the, the small dreams that we have, Lord, I know you're, you're forcing me to let go of those little human dreams that I have. And you're asking me to just open up my heart, my mind, not trying to put a number on it or anything, but just stop trying to predict what it is and just be open, <laughs> Lord, to, for you to bring whatever that looks like. And, and Lord, if it's a few people, then praise the Lord. If it's thousands of people, praise the Lord. Whatever you want to do, Lord, you can do. So Lord, I, I pray you'd help us just to dream bigger dreams allow you to fill in the gaps that you would give us those dreams that they would be from you and that you would be glorified in our community and that we would come to know you and your love more fully of course gotta read ephesians 3 at the end of this service for verse 14 for this reason i church i bow my knee before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We've got one more song. Uh, we would invite you to come if you feel like you need to come and just respond to Jesus and ask for prayer or for someone to pray over you or if you feel like you need to come and uh, give some confession and, and pray and repent of some of uh, your own things that you've been allowing to hold Jesus back a little bit, then please come forward. We'd love to pray for you. We also have one more song. If you want to stay and continue to worship, you can do that. Uh, if uh, you've got to go and you've got other things coming up, that's fine. You can, you, you're free to leave as well, but um, just allow the Lord to kind of lead you and guide you in this time for his glory. <laughs>